Welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, so whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on how Buffy has matured since its premiere in 1997. Thanks for listening. Now on to the episode. Welcome back. This is season one, episode two of Buffy the Vampire Slayer called The Harvest. And this episode actually premiered on the very same night as Welcome to the Hellmouth. That makes sense. March 10th, 1997. So let's get right into it. Is it normal for pilots to have cliffhangers like this? Well, I think back then it was normal for series premieres to be two hours long. So like you said, this was aired the same night. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that they scheduled a special like two hour block to show both episodes. Right, 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 right. And and they probably knew that that was going to happen or at least could maybe hope that would happen when they were writing and then um, producing the first two episodes. So I think that makes sense because, I mean, this episode picks up literally where Welcome to the Hellmouth left off. It was interesting to me, I'd forgotten because it's been so long since I rewatched these, um, that there was no like recap. There was no previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer mm-hmm. on my, at least on my DVD. I don't know if it was different for you. Uh, no, well, I was streaming it online. So there was also no, <laughs> no preview. Yeah. yeah. So I, I actually, I ended up like going back at one point because I'm like, wait, did I just blink and miss the recap? Yeah. Like. So I'm glad that for original viewers, they weren't waiting like a week and then no recap. Because Well, let's recap. So Buffy is lying in this coffin and it looks like this big, beefy religious vampire is about to bite her. So we continue on with this scene. But what happens is he burns himself on the silver cross that that tall, dark, handsome stranger gave Buffy earlier in the episode. So he pieces out and uh, I think she knows that she was beat, right? Like that she almost died there. So I think it's good to know that our Slayer knows when it's time to leave and she she -hmm. took off. And I think it's also important to notice that um, when you're a Slayer, if you lose a fight, like you don't just get beat up, you could die. That's serious stuff. So... Buffy runs into the cemetery after her friends. Uh, you know what's interesting is we, we hear a lion's roar. And uh, that is the vampire, obviously. It's, uh, it was, it's, it's attacking Willow. But it is a lion's roar. Am I wrong? <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't pick up on that, but I, I trust you. <laughs> That's what it sounded like to me. So um, a vampire is attacking Willow and Buffy kicks him off her. And then two other vampires are dragging Xander away. And Buffy uh, manages to kick their ass as well. She breaks off a tree branch, once again, showing how resourceful she is. And she stakes one of them. And I think the other one takes off. Uh, unfortunately, though, they cannot find Jesse. Jesse is missing. Yeah, so this is Buffy transitioning from full-on flight mode where she's fleeing the crypt to fight mode and she's taking charge right like she's like do this get this and she's like where's jesse and they you know they can't find jesse and it's the first time we're seeing buffy in this situation where 
she's not winning, right? Like before she was kicking vamp ass and now it's suddenly, oh, she can't save Jesse. You can't save them all. Yeah, exactly. So we cut to the opening credits and then following the credits, we're in the library and uh, they're with Giles. It's the morning and Giles is giving them actually a pretty interesting history of the world. It's our first true Giles exposition scene. (laughs) Yeah. And I love it and I'm here for it and I'm here for like the snarky like feedback that he's getting from Xander and from Buffy. Willow's a little quiet here, so it seems like she's really struggling to like process everything. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's actually a lot of layers to the scene. The first one is yeah, Giles is giving them his exposition, he's telling them about the history of the world and he's giving context on vampires. And I actually really enjoyed his explanation of vampires because I think because I'm so desensitized to Buffy's gothic background that i i forget that the way he describes demons is that their purpose for being in this reality is to wait for the mortals to die out so that the ancient demons from hell can return the way he describes it is, it's very not like you know the jesus story or the story that religions tell it's that earth used to be a demon realm and over time they lost purchase on this reality and that's when mortal animals and men came out and before they left one demon managed to bite another uh, a human and mix the blood and that's where the vampires came from and then they continued mixing their bloods with humans they continued to roam the earth in human form and that's what they do they just walk the earth feeding killing making more of them uh, basically waiting for the old ones to return and i forgot that i didn't like i just think of like vampires as just like floating around you know what i mean but when you kind of give mm-hmm. them more of a demonic purpose it's kind of more interesting so mm-hmm. i'm happy to have learned that this time around and then the other layer is like you said like the humans like xander and willow their friend is missing like there's a lot to there's a lot to take in right now and uh, willow is being very quiet and xander is actually being very skeptical and xander's being like was it really vampires? And Willow's like, well, we saw them. Like, like it wasn't like a trick of the light. It wasn't like they just had rabies. Like, we saw the vampires. So I kind of like this whole idea of the high schoolers are in shock. And I, I don't blame them. I think I would be in shock too, to be honest. I agree. So we cut. So this scene kind of cuts between the vampires in their lair and then our heroes in the in the library yes and the segues are very well done and it it allows us to see in parallel these two groups discussing almost the same thing but from different perspectives because as you'll recap for us in a moment the bad guys are getting a history lesson from their leader <laughs> about what a slayer is yes um, and it's also in in a way, it's also, you know, a classic evil villain explains the plot to the audience by explaining it to his underlings <laughs> who should already know it. See, but they need reminding he's been gone a long time. Uh, also, I just want to point out, I know you mentioned this earlier, but it's much more obvious because of how low cut her neckline is. <laughs> Buffy's wearing that cross necklace like, oh, it's a thing now. Oh, well, I mean, you know, if uh, someone of that if that man had given me the necklace i'm pretty sure i'd be wearing it too (laughs) i don't blame her in one bit um so yeah so we go to the vampire lair and darla is there with the big beefy vampire and they they have jesse they have jesse um we think that jesse's going to be offered to the master as his youthful snack but the master actually first off off gets pissed at darla for having already bitten him but we learn like you said that that um this 
bad guy who I think we can just call the master because they're going to that's yes. his name. And I think we know that the beefy vampire's name is Luke at this point. Okay, yeah. So Luke and Matt, the master and Darla and the master's three has been waiting for 3000 years. And he says that his ascension is almost at hand. We cut back to Giles, who's who's doing the whole to each generation a slayer is born once again. And once again, Buffy interrupts him. And uh, he's forced to give Xander and Willow the condensed version of what Buffy is. You know, she's a slayer. She hunts vampires. Don't tell anyone. It's I know. And it's what it's one of my favorite quotes. And it would be my quote of the episode if it weren't for the final line of the episode, which is the best line in perhaps all of season one. So, um, yeah, I love that line. I love the way he's forced to give the summary of that. Mm. I also want to point out yeah. how when the master learns that this girl might be the slayer. The way he says it, he's like, a slayer. He's intrigued and almost excited, right? Mm. Like this idea that, you know, there's nothing nicer for a vampire than to go up against the slayer and kill her. Yep. It's a real feather in your cap. Um, perhaps slayer blood tastes better than regular human blood. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he sounds really excited that he's going to get to face off against a slayer. While also, you know, undergoing this ascension and becoming, I guess, the biggest, baddest vampire ever. Well, it must be within, like, vampire lore, too, right? Like, I'm sure offing a slayer is, like, bragging rights. It's like, that means I'm, like, one of the biggest, baddest demons out here. True. If I can kill the demon hunter who who is, like, destined to kill me, right? Like, that's, Well, like, and they like... all think they can do it. <laughs> because they're, they're all... <laughs> There's one thing about being a vampire is that it really causes overconfidence. It's true. It's true. They do all believe it. And sometimes they seek it out. Oh, well, that's a spoiler, but it's true. Sometimes they're literally like, oh, the Slayer? Awesome. Here's my chance to, to kill her. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So, uh, we're back in the library, and Xander... Xander is like, okay, let's go kill him. Let's go get Jesse. And Buffy's like, you don't do that. I do it because I'm the Slayer. And Willow points out that if if Buffy hadn't saved Willow and Xander, they would be in Jesse's position, which is absolutely true. Like Buffy 100% saved their lives. And, and you see here Willow is like, oh, I think I need to sit down, even though she's already sitting down. So we kind of get in a little bit more into Willow's headspace. She's being very quiet, but I think that's very realistic. Like she's in shock. Like, she almost died the night before, and, you know, she followed that guy into that crypt, and, like, there like there are a lot of things that could have happened had Buffy not been there, and I think Willow's actually digesting that, whereas Xander wants to run in, guns blazing, I want to save my friend, I want to be a man, I want to, like, you know, stand up to these bullies. And Willow wants to go to the police, so that's her next move. She's like, well, why don't we go to the police, and then we finally establish why police are useless, you know, in a lot of ways. But in Buffy... Like, all they do is bring their guns, and Buffy is obviously very anti-gun. So, Xander asks a very important question. He asks if the vampires can fly, and Buffy says, no, they can drive. <laughs> like, that's how they get away fast. Uh, and I, I, am I wrong? Like, didn't they fly in the movie? I haven't seen the movie in a long time. Yeah, neither have I. Um, I'm pretty sure they do. I think they the one... No, I don't think they fly. I think they can, like, jump. And it just looks like flying because of the really cheesy wire work. I don't know because there was that. Doesn't his like his one friend gets bit, and he like jumps up to his window, and I think he's hovering do, there. Do we want to take a like make a bet on this, and then when we get around to doing the movie, we can find out who? Yeah, is? what do you want to bet? Are, are we actually wagering something? <laughs> well, it's a bet. What do you want to bet? 
I bet you a, a can of Coke. Okay, deal. No, no, I bet you one of those beautiful silver cross necklaces. <laughs> oh, okay. Do I have to hire like an attractive gigolo to give it to you? Absolutely. <laughs> that goes without saying. <laughs> All right, listeners, you heard it. It's an official bet. When we get around to reviewing the movie, we'll find out which one of us is right. Don't spoil it for us. Okay, so we also learned in this conversation that vampires love sewer systems and Sunnydale happens to have electrical tunnels running all around the town. It's almost like, you know, if a town is built on a hellmouth, demons were the city planners and they made it so that they can move around during the day at all times. So... One thing I will point out in this conversation that I liked, because we're learning about vampires, we're learning about slayers, we're learning about more of the lore. Uh, Buffy said that she didn't notice any entrances to the sewer system while she was in the graveyard. And I just, I thought that was interesting because remember we talked about last episode that Buffy, you know, she doesn't want her destiny. She rejects her destiny, yet it, it is something that she's very good at and that she's learned in because the fact that she was even scanning the perimeter while she was on the hunt and while she was doing what she was doing the night before uh she noticed these things that she's supposed to notice that's her job to do it even though she denies it you know so i thought that was really cool back at the master's uh lair they basically just agree that jesse is going to be bait because they know that jesse knows the slayer and the slayer will come for him if she thinks he's still alive yep. so that's basically that uh when we're back at the library willow has broken into the city council security system to get the city plan so that buffy can learn the underground so we're learning here that willow is a hacker chick mm -hmm. right this is like 1997 you know the world wide web is quite new it's unusual for a lot of people, unless they have specific training, to know how to navigate it like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Willow's showing off her skills here. It, it just shows that, like, this is a useful person for Buffy to have around. Especially since right now, Buffy is also kind of panicking. And I think she feels really guilty that Jesse got caught because if she hadn't been so flippant before, maybe this would never have happened. So I think she's starting to kind of, like blame herself and also that she's taking in that she almost lost that fight to luke and that's serious so she even thinks about where luke came from and realizes that he came from behind her not from the door which makes her think that okay so that means that the entrance to the sewer system is in that crypt that she was in mm -hmm. really good detective work buffy but then she says i'm so mentally challenged and i'm like mm. <laughs> i know i i picked up on that too so i think it, I, i'm glad you mentioned that mm -hmm. i think it's important that we call out the ableism I, I know that the show is old and like the 1990s and it's a different time but i don't think that's an excuse and i i don't think we should like repeat every single ableist slur there's another one later on near the end of the episode mm -hmm. but um it's there, and it's one of the things about the show that does not age very well. Yes, and uh, I mean, she didn't drop the R word, although I'm True. something tells me in the some maybe in some point in the next seven seasons we'll hear it. I'm not sure, but this was the first case of it in in episode two. And you're right, right. it's it's a sign but of the times. This is something we would hopefully not see in like a new series of Buffy or something yes and as is the next thing which is Xander automatically assuming that he's gonna go with Buffy and Buffy basically shuts him down and says it's too dangerous for him and she's absolutely right and Xander immediately 
like takes this as an affront to his manhood and he like mumbles like oh i get it i'm less than a man (laughs) xander takes everything as an affront to his manhood though yes he's very insecure uh but that's the thing is like you're not less than a man you're less than the slayer and the slayer is always female so you're less than this chosen woman like you just aren't strong enough to save Buffy you're not you're not the one you know so I just don't like that he took that so like oh my my Mm. manhood me like a woman has to go do it I can't do it I don't like that Mm -hmm. Uh, Willow because she's not a misogynist she does the normal thing and she's like look I am actually scared and I'm really anxious and I and Jesse's my friend and I you know I want to help Jesse but I'm scared and I can't help I can't help him the way Buffy helps him. So she's going to stay and help Giles with research, like kind of like his research mm-hmm. assistant, which is which is perfect, which is exactly what he needs. And, you know, we do get another situation of Giles getting really close to Willow while he's looking over the computer. Like there, once again, this British man doesn't understand his boundaries with these young girls. But nonetheless, Buffy goes after Jesse. Xander's going to stay. And Willow's going to help Giles do research. So we're setting up a nice little gang thing here. Where Yeah, it's really nice. It is really nice. Um, and it's like, this is their first mystery that they're all solving together. It's quite nice. Mm-hmm. So Buffy's leaving campus. And uh, sweet Principal Flutie calls her out, sees her leaving, is like, you're, you're not leaving on your second day of school, are you? And, you know, she's kind of like, oh, I'm going to go buy books for Giles or I'm admiring the fence. And he sees right through this bullshit and he basically like, shuts the gate so she can't leave. Buffy then jumps the fence and she does like a cool flying thing. So what this scene does, right, is it it's one of the first examples in this series of Buffy having to flout authority in order to do his her duties as the slayer right so she's technically a force for good but here she has to slack off she has to skip school which is not good but she has to do it for her slayer duties and she's going to butt heads with principal flutie and many other authority figures throughout this series yeah it's it's really a shame that they don't get called to slayerhood when they're 18 you know, like it happens when they're like 15 years old and it's not fair because you know, they, they have school. You know? um, so we, so Xander and Willow are in the hallway and, and Willow's re- looking, thinking up terms to look up um, online for Giles. And uh, Xander is kind of having a little freak out. And I think he's realizing A, that he's kind of useless and B, that um, like now this is his actual chance to start thinking about what happened the night before. His friend is missing. He almost died. And I think this is a lot more digestible and I'm, I can sympathize with him and his, his feelings of being like, oh my God, yesterday was just a normal day in my life. And today there's like vampires, my friend's missing and life or death. There's a lot going on. And I actually sympathize with him a lot more here than I did earlier when he turned it into like, you know, uh, like my manliness is invalidated because I can't follow this woman into the battle, you know? So I I think it's pretty incredible how quickly that their lives are changing and how quickly Mm -hmm. we are seeing them fall into these different categories and these different roles within this group. And Xander, what is his role? (laughs) Like, well, how is he going to help the situation? So Buffy is just entering the crypt where she had fought Luke the night before. And she's looking for the sewer opening and she finds it and it's locked with a chain. 
And as the camera zooms behind the door, we can see Buffy standing there looking at the chain. But then who else is standing behind the door? It's that tall, handsome stranger from the night before. And Buffy says, I don't suppose you have a key on you. And he's like, they really don't like me dropping in. They really don't like me. So he's making it very clear that he's not part of the master's gang, yet he knows all about them. So this guy's a mystery. Like, who is this guy, you know? Well, at least we find out his name in this scene. Yes. Yes. Buffy. Like, so he kind of like, he kind of negs Buffy a little bit where he's like, oh, I thought you'd find it sooner. <laughs> like making these smug comments. So she's like, you know, if you're going to be popping up with these cryptic wise man acts, like at least tell me your name. And he's like, my name is Angel. And she says pretty name. And that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> And I still think it is a very pretty name. <laughs> okay. It's suiting. You know what? Angel. Okay. So this this tall, handsome stranger is Angel. And um, he doesn't think she should go in. He thinks that um, she shouldn't put herself at risk because tonight is the harvest and the master will walk again. So she kicks the door open and Angel warns her that like they're going to be expecting you to come. And Buffy says something like, do you know what it's like to have a friend or something? <laughs> and his face, he gets like, he puts on like the sad white man puppy dog face where he's just like, oh. <laughs> and Buffy kind of feels bad for him at that point. I think we all realize like, oh, that like actually made him like upset. Like he doesn't have friends. It was very strange. <laughs> and like Angel and the guy who plays him, David Boreanaz, he, uh, once again, I said this in the last episode, like, gorgeous, like, just really, really good looking. But, like, I don't, like, his acting is so off in the first couple episodes, I think. Well, I yeah, I, th- I think he's having trouble because I'm pretty sure that they told him who he is, which we won't reveal right now. Uh-huh. So I think that he's having trouble figuring out how to play his character. Okay. I mean, this is this is the first time playing Angel, right? Mm-hmm. And... He, he's trying to figure out how much do I give away in the way I act. So I agree with you. His acting is a little bit stilted and awkward. And the angel in this episode is very different from the angel we get to know later on. Yes. And you're not going to find a bigger angel stand than me. So <laughs> okay. oh, I'm excited now. <laughs> I will say that, like, you know, he's he's a blank slate, but a beautiful blank slate. <laughs> Oh, all right. All right. Um, Um, So after Angel leaves, Buffy goes into the tunnels and it's basically just a lot of creeping through tunnels. It's just like scene after scene of Buffy going through tunnels. Mm -hmm. And all I could think while watching this part of the episode was, wow, this episode is a lot slower than the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot, a lot more lurking, a lot less character building. (laughs) Well, because last episode... Every single moment was important. Yes. And that's why it took us so long to get through it was we had to like stop for every scene, every line. With this episode, I wouldn't say that like there's a lot of filler in it, but certainly they didn't pack as much into this episode. Yeah. And actually, now that we know that this episode was kind of a continuation of the first one in one night, like it was a big two hour premiere. uh, It's okay. It's okay for this part of the show to be a little bit more suspenseful, a little bit more drawn out. Mm -hmm. But uh, as a standalone episode already, like we're saying, it's kind of like it's just like a lot slower than what we were expecting. Mm -hmm. 
So not for long is Buffy like Buffy is walking through these spooky tunnels, but Xander shows up. Xander Xander mm-hmm. Xander followed her and caught up to her somehow. And and like I'm just like, my friend, like, no, like what are you doing? Why did you come? So but this is his character, right? Like he's establishing himself as he's the normal one. He doesn't do computers or research. He doesn't have slayer powers, but he's got the heart of gold. Uh, the heart of gold that has no weapons. He didn't show up with True. anything. He didn't come to help. He's like, how are you going to help He's her? He's such a dumb teenage boy. Yes, yes, yes. And I, you know what? I want to, I, I find so far it's been an episode and a half. And Xander's kind of rubbed me the wrong way from the beginning. Like, I love Xander growing up. I thought he was so funny, like the Chandler of the gang, you know? Um, I don't like that he just, like, side passes Buffy's authority. Oh, my opinion of Xander, as I said in the introduction episode, has like decreased every single time I rewatch this series. Yeah. Buffy now has to worry about Xander's life too. Like it's not just hers, it's not just Jesse's, mm-hmm. it's Xander's. So he's adding baggage to what is already a huge bag, <laughs> you know? So mm-hmm. Buffy just allows him to come because uh, clearly he's stubborn and he's not going to leave. And uh, we learn a little bit more about about vampires as they continue creeping through the tunnels. We learn that there's different ways to kill them. You know, this is the classic like crosses, garlic, stake to the heart, beheading, fire, sunlight, holy water, all those things. And we learn that of all these things, Xander brought nothing except for a flashlight, which Buffy t- tells him to put away. <laughs> uh, we are in computer class, and Willow is there, as well as Cordelia and her ditzy blonde friend, whose name we do not know. Uh, I, I, is this a programming class? Like, I think they're learning how to code? Yeah, it looks like they're doing some kind of coding. So it's Cordy, this friend, Willow, and a bunch of massive computers. <laughs> Huge, nice you know. computers. Oh my god, those CRT monitors, so heavy, so <laughs> bad. Like, can you imagine looking at one of those now after we're treated to like 1080p and 4K flat screen monitors? Yeah, we're so spoiled now, but like kids will never know. Kids got to watch this episode so they know what what had to be done, what had to come before them. And I love how Cordelia is treating this class as if it's this torture, it's this chore. Oh my goodness, this poor, popular, beautiful girl is being forced to slum it with the nerds <laughs> and program a computer. Yeah. Like, oh my god. Yeah, well, Cordelia walked so the rest of us could run when it comes to <laughs> being able to do computer work. Um, I would be in Cordy's spot, honestly. Like, this stuff was so over my head. I would be just as frustrated as her. I'd probably be her blonde, dizzy friend. Like, I'd be like, what? <laughs> like, I wouldn't know what's going on. Um, but basically, they're, they're talking about Buffy. They're talking about the night before and how Buffy tried to kill her. And they're they're obviously exaggerating, as one does when you're gossiping. Like, you like to, like, like you know, let's, mm-hmm. let's add a little meat to the story. You know, make it really good. And the guys that are near them are, like, talking about her, too. And um, Willow stands up for her. She's just like, you know, you don't even know her. And Cordelia says, who gave you permission to exist? Do I horn in on your private conversations? No, because you're boring. <laughs> and it, I laugh because on one hand, like it, she's kind of right, you know, like it was not that it's a private discussion, like they're being very loud, but no, Cordelia does not horn in on her private conversations. On the other hand, what a bitch, like so, so, so mean. Uh, because she once again bullied Willow and she's bullying Buffy at the same time when Buffy's not even there to defend herself, it seems like she's finished the program and she's like, okay, that's good. How do I save? And Willow's like, you press deliver. 
and then walks away and she's like great and of course we all know that deliver is dell which is delete so she deletes her whole project and her face is priceless <laughs> i forgot that this line was in this episode like i remember this joke mm-hmm. this is an iconic joke it's one of my favorite jokes in the entire series mm-hmm. and i'd forgotten it was in this episode so i got really excited when the the Cordy and Willow in the computer lab scene came up because I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, this is the episode. Yeah. Willow's a bad bitch. Yeah, she outsmarted her. <laughs> yeah, like like this is the thing is Cordy is mean. Yes, very mean. And a little bit like like Cordy's very like good at her insults, and Willow's mousy, and Willow may not always fight back, but when you push her hard enough, there is something inside Willow. That snaps. And this is the first time, but it's just not the last time that we see it. Willow is a bad bitch. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure, I hope we see more of it, to be honest. Maybe they, people just need to be in her area of expertise or in her area of comfort, right? Because obviously she's a computer whiz. So now we're back in the sewers and Buffy says they're getting close because there's no more rats. Uh, so once again, showing that she knows a, you know, a thing or two about this stuff. Uh, they find Jesse. Jesse's lying on the ground. Xander hugs him. He's excited to see him. Uh, Buffy releases him from his chains. But then you notice that the vampires are starting to surround them. So they run. They get panicky and they start running. At first, they kind of like walk quickly. And I was like, okay, well, like, let's pick up the speed, guys. And then they notice more vampires are there. So they pick up the speed. And they're jogging. And they end up in this little corner area. That's a little room, almost. And... They're like, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Turns out Jesse has been turned into a vampire. He's got vamp face on. And I would be so curious to hear from people who are watching this for the first time. Were you shocked by that? Because I remembered this twist. And so to me, it's like, oh, I'm so shocked by this (laughs) sarcasm. But I got to wonder, like, for somebody who is watching this for the first time, I don't remember. It's been so long. Was this a shocking twist? Because this is really the first time we see a human who's been turned into a vampire versus just having their blood sucked out. And it's a very powerful scene because he confronts Xander and he's like, you're like a shadow to me now. And it's just like, whoa, okay, Jesse's soul has left the body. Yeah, yeah. So I would be curious, first time listeners, if you want to let us know, were you shocked by this turn of events or... Was it pretty obvious to you that he'd gone over to the dark side? <laughs> yeah. Or it was like so obviously a trap. Obviously, they wouldn't leave him alive. Right. You know? um, and I think it's also interesting, too, because it's like, okay, so your friend is missing. You find him. He's a demon now. I- and like, that's a lot for Xander to have to process in this very small little scene that we have with him. And it's just interesting rewatching and re and, and, and analyzing a show like this because it's a supernatural show. And I'm trying to put myself in Xander's position. It's like, oh my God, if my best friend, my best childhood friend got turned into a vampire, that's terrible. That's awful. That's horrific. But we don't have a lot of time to process this. And this is all kind of processed in this episode. I'm just, like, it just, for me, like the fantasy element is so heightened that I, I'm like, can we really take this in as one would normally take in this situation? Or is this part of the supernatural element of these kind of shows that it's like, you know what, though? Like, that's just the way it goes, <laughs> you know? Because like in, for example, like The Walking Dead, we had a very slow buildup to when all the humans had to start killing each other. 
and to when everything went to shit. Like, it was a very slow buildup. Whereas, like, this is, like, episode two or, like, the extension of the first episode. And one of the people who was being set up to be one of the heroes of the show is dead, is a demon now. I don't know. There's a lot to take in. And, like, you know, Xander's 16 years old. So it's just like, wow, that's a lot to take in. I don't think they put that much thought into it, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I love what you're talking about. But I think that, like, this is something that I think about a lot with season one. I don't think that they completely thought out some of the things that they do in the episodes in this season. Yeah. And maybe that's one of them, right? Mm-hmm. And and maybe they didn't spend enough time uh, with Xander and his sort of grief for Jesse, but also his grief for his own innocence. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe that's something we should sort of think about as we continue through the season and kind of see how Xander and Willow adapt to being Buffy's sidekicks. Yeah. Yeah, and there, I mean, it does make sense that, you know, we're trying, we're just setting up the story, we're setting up the world in these two episodes, so, you know, maybe this is just the example, right? Like, anything can happen to anybody Mm -hmm. in this show. So, Jesse, unfortunately, is the first friend to die and to be turned into a vampire. So, he leaves because Xander holds up the cross, and she needs Xander's help to help her close the door to keep the vampires out, which is weird to me because I'm like, Buffy, you're so strong. Like, did you really need Xander's help for that? Um, but good thing. Maybe she just wanted Xander to feel useful. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, whoa. <laughs> Peeling back the, the layers one by one. Buffy was thinking about Xander's... <laughs> about <laughs> making Xander feel included. Isn't that what every woman does when she's got <laughs> yeah. it? But there's a man around she's... thinking he needs to be useful? <laughs> you know, Buffy's not only saving herself and Xander's lives, but she's also doing emotional labor for Xander and helping him <laughs> feel w- needed and wanted as a man in this situation. So good thing also that Xander brought his fucking flashlight because he shines it up at the roof and oh my god great there's a place to leave there's a little door up there so they crawl up in there they they crawl through through the vents and they find a little manhole and they get out and as they get out uh, a hand grabs Buffy's leg and once again she needs Xander to help pull her out of this grip Yeah, so this is a very cheap-looking hand, like, in terms of the effects on it, as it starts to, like, smoke in the sunlight. (laughs) Tis, tis. And also, I will add that the hand has these, like, long fingernails, like, these vampire fingernails, which I I think exactly what you just said. Uh, Season one is all about trying things and letting things go. Mm -hmm. So this is a vampire hand that I don't think we're going to see much more of, you know, maybe a little bit more of, but... Throughout the series, this kind of goes away. This is like this hand. Yeah, well, even the vamp face gets a lot better over season one, right? Like right now, it it looks a little bit artificial and plasticky, mm-hmm. and it starts to feel a lot more natural as the series goes yeah, on. Yeah, let's just say that season one is very campy, and then they get a better budget, <laughs> and things change. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, to your point about Xander saving Buffy again... Um, <laughs> It does raise a question. It, you know, would Buffy have escaped if Xander weren't there yes. to help her? Is she better <laughs> off with friends watching her back? Yeah, with without Xander there, would Jesse and everyone have been able to surprise and surround her all at once as the master had planned? So that's a really good point. And we'll have to keep our eye on that that dynamic as we go on. I, I think that's something the master didn't expect, right? Is he's like, okay, this is bait for the slayer. And he's expecting the Slayer to come alone. And so Xander threw a wrench in the plans because he wasn't expecting the Slayer plus her friend with no powers. 
the the you know the the vampires go back to the master say that they failed he he's annoyed that she escaped uh however i do like that he is not one of those villains that like he's got a vision <laughs> like the harvest is coming it's no matter that you didn't get her i'm annoyed at you but like he's got a, like his eyes are on the prize and he's not going to get distracted he has a very good management style <laughs> yes Yes, uh, except for when he does po- uh, poke out one of his followers' eyes for disobeying him. No, I think that's good. You got to put fear. He's <laughs> ruling by fear. Yeah. you know that's just he's read the prince. Yes, and this is his management style, yes. and that includes poking out people's eyes to yeah. reinforce that he means business. He's like, well, you guys failed at that, but we still have the bigger thing. The harvest is tonight, so let's just like focus on that. All right, like maybe I gave you a little bit too much on a Monday, you know, like whatever. He's, he's, a, he's like a coach in a sports movie, giving them a pep talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah tonight we're going to give it 110%. Today you only gave it 70 But you know what? We're going to refocus, come back in swinging tonight. Um, nice. What I do wish, though, what I do, I will say, because he's got actually surprising energy for a 3,000-year-old vampire. Uh, he, I wish he was old. Like, I wish he kind of had an old personality. I think I just find old people more creepy. <laughs> interesting okay I think he's young at heart he wants to drink from young people but i feel like it wouldn't it just be a little bit scary if he was like fucking old <laughs> just like an old ass man i don't know i don't know <laughs> if i agree with that i think that mark metcalf plays this really well because you have to have that kind of energy to survive that long right mm-hmm. if you're old and you're tired you start to make mistakes or maybe you start to lose that will mm-hmm. to i don't want to say live because he's not alive he's undead but you know he has that energy and he has that drive mm-hmm. to survive and that's how he survived so long that he's started to like mutate into a special vampire with the weird face <laughs> yeah maybe that's what i maybe that's what throws me off because he does have a very modern vibe to him but like he's so old so i'm like maybe i want him to be more like like creature like you know whatever yeah we can't have what we well, want well i don't from a, from a practical point of view right i think that would have felt campier mm, for than what it already because is because we don't have yeah we we don't have this world established yet right. so i think it's important that buffy has more human like villains to face off against uh with whom she can banter that kind of thing when you have a less human like villain and a more like animalistic force a lot of more rides on the hero doing stuff, mm. right? And that's less interesting to the audience. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it too. Yes. And, you know, I have to trust Joss Whedon and the producers and the writers for building up a villain that is going to appeal to a lot of different people. You know, who am I to say that he's too spunky? Like, right? Um, I do want to say that in the next scene, I, I, I don't want to go into too detail about everything, but Willow mm-hmm. is with Giles in the library. And I think this is a really important scene because Willow has found information about murders that happened in 1937 in Sunnydale. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what they're looking for because, well, she mentions that there haven't been vampires since, or there haven't been these kind of murders since that time. And, I think this is where we get the past that these kids are so ignorant to the dangers of Sunnydale. Because I think it, like, maybe because we watched it so many times, we know that Sunnydale is a dangerous place to be. But maybe it is possible that Mm -hmm. it's only been the last couple days where things have started to go awry. Because basically, Willow just said, like, like a bunch of murders happened in 1937, and then it's been kind of calm. So Mm -hmm. there's the past. 
we go back to the to the lair and more candles are in there i was thinking of you every time i look at candles now i'll think of you and um well and also like now that we've established vampires are vulnerable to fire mm-hmm. why do you have so many <laughs> fires around you why why do you do this to yourself <laughs> like if you knock one of those things over right you're fucked yeah <laughs> well they look danger in the eye and you know they take <laughs> they don't care if they can take on a slayer they can Stop take on candles excuses for the evil stuff <laughs> I'm just trying to get into their mindset. I'm trying to really understand where they're coming from. Um, okay, but what more importantly, what's happening in this cave besides, you know, their candles is that there's some sort of very important ritual wedding happening between Luke and the master. Yeah, it's, it's a creepy ceremony. It's super culty. It's so weird. Uh, he's kissing the master's hand and then he bites his hand and it's so homoerotic and like like the vampires are all into it the master is like yes now we've joined souls and bodies so basically luke has become the vessel and every person that he feeds off of will then feed the master so they're sharing bodies at this point and once he gets enough souls the master will have enough strength to free himself from this candle lair or this house of wax or whatever you want to call it this is why luke is now the vessel and this is what their plot is going to be for the harvest so buffy and xander finally show up to the library with the bad news that jesse has been turned into a vampire willow says like oh at least you're okay and i'm like willow like don't you think like jesse was your friend too like she doesn't seem super super you know sad about it xander shows his emotions by kicking something and once again i think this is a really good scene because it gives you a lot of information about the plot and what's going on but it also shows you a lot about the dynamic of the group Mm -hmm. and everyone has a time to shine in these kind of situations when all the group is together everyone's personality comes out and everyone has something to say that not only raises the stakes but also helps show you what their character is all about so Gile chooses this moment to bring up the end of the world and he says 60 years ago a powerful vampire came to the shore of the Hellmouth and uh which and the Hellmouth is a portal from one reality to the next so the vampire wanted to open it and bring all of the old demons back but there was an earthquake that swallowed him up in half of the town and that's because it's not easy to open a portal so he basically got stuck in what he was creating and now the harvest is about letting him out which is what he more or less just said in his wedding ritual earlier uh so now buffy knows that anyone who has this symbol of this mystic portal she has to dust and that's luke she has to dust the vessel they now they're like where is it going to go down xander says that it's going to go down to the bronze because that's where everyone goes <laughs> at night so buffy has to go and supply up this is another situation kind of like with principal flutie where buffy's in her room getting her supplies together and it's another show of how um she has to thwart the authorities in her life in order to do what she has to do so her mom approaches her in her room and she's pissed and she's like you know did you even come home last night? <laughs> and she knows that she missed classes and she, the principal called and she's worried that everything is going to be happening again. And I think it's it's really clear because she does mention that like she's been watching self-help parenting tapes. <laughs> yeah, I thought she was listening to them, listening. like books on tape, oh, okay, right? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah she because she says the tapes all say. And before that, she says it's happening again, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we get that perspective of like, since Buffy's mom is so 
oblivious to the supernatural aspect of Buffy's life, she thinks Buffy's just getting mixed up with drugs yeah. and the wrong crowd and stuff. Yes. And she feels like it's her fault. She thinks Buffy's behavior is a failing on her part as a mother. And she's really trying to become a better parent. Yeah, you can tell it makes her very insecure to think that it's her parenting style that kind of pushed Buffy down the path that she went down. Mm-hmm. So to reverse mm-hmm. it, this is the start of us seeing Buffy having to put her Slayer duties ahead of family. And it's interesting because she's so young. And in the future, what kind of threats is she going to face where she may have to choose, like, do I keep my family safe or do I save, like, innocence or the world? And the show, you know, hasn't revealed anything to us yet. But it's in this scene, you can kind of see the seeds of that of, like, Buffy has a lot riding on her. And I hope she never has to make the choice between family and the end of the world. Who knows? But um, I will say that it, it was a very bad move for her mom to tell Buffy, to tell her teenager that she's learning how to parent via audio cassettes. Because if I were this teenager, like that's that would be my greatest weapon. <laughs> like if you, t- if my mom told me that, like that is you've just given me the greatest weapon to destroy you with on a daily basis. <laughs> so, so, but you know what? Here's. For one, for Buffy's mom, I appreciate her honesty. Mm-hmm. I think that she is concerned, rightfully, and like I'm number one, she's not yelling. She's not yelling at her, which mm-hmm. I love. She's not even that disappointed, to be honest. She's just kind of like, there are rules. You and I make promises to each other. I'm calling you out now, and these are the consequences of what you're doing. And you can sulk about it all you want, or you can come down and have a conversation with me. We can talk it out more. We can build a trust between each other right Mm -hmm. so I I really like that approach I think it's awesome and what she says to her is that you know it's so hard when you're 16 years old because everything feels like the end of the world everything's life or death but it's not but it's that's Mm -hmm. so clever because it is for Buffy like literally the apocalypse or the end of the world is tonight so this is kind of what the show is about right it's about Buffy having to grow up as a 16 year old where you know metaphorically everything is life or death but literally everything is life or death for Buffy so that's that's what the show is really about so when she leaves Buffy goes into her closet and opens up the chest and inside the chest there is these cute little girly things childhood toys something's pink like a bunch of like frilly things she lifts that up and underneath is a secret compartment that has all of her slayer stuff we see garlic which i will say i think is the only time we ever see garlic ever again in the show they don't use it very often uh holy water you know these badass looking steaks wait sorry steph doesn't every teenage girl have a trunk full of vampire slaying weapons in a room? You're saying this isn't normal? <laughs> Personally, I did, obviously, <laughs> for reasons I don't want to get into. But I, no, the, I think this just shows the difference, right, between Buffy's life before and Buffy's life now. Innocence versus her slayerness, the girly versus hunter, okay, okay. light versus yeah. dark. <laughs> There's a lot going right. on with that. Um, so she grabs these weapons, she loads herself up, and then she sneaks out of the house. Goes out the window, classic move, really. And Buffy's mom should have known better. So we're going to the bronze now, and Cordelia's there with her friends. Right, so Cordelia isn't just there with her friends. Queen Cordelia 
is holding court. <laughs> yes. She she's the one she's making all of the funny jokes, right? And everybody around her is laughing and smiling because whether or not she's actually entertaining, they have to pretend that she is, right? Mm-hmm. And she you can tell she's feeding off of that energy of everybody listening and hanging on her every word. She's so witty, she's so funny. Yep. And I will say she looks amazing. I think I'll just say it here now that I like Cordelia's outfits way more than Buffy's. Um, But yeah, her and her friends just decide to go dancing. So as they're dancing, we pan out and we see that Jesse the vampire is there and he's watching her. So he's just as much of a stalker as a vampire as he was as as a human. Right. But is he supposed to look sexier now? Is that the implication? Uh, You know... Yes, (laughs) I think he's supposed to look more dangerous, more mysterious. Okay. He has a new vibe, right? Like he's got a different stance. I really think it's all about confidence. Like men, if you're listening, it's all about confidence. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. His hair is different. Like he's just more in control. But then we see that when he comes up behind Cordelia, he grabs her hand, he pulls her onto the dance floor, and she kind of like rebuffs him. And then he's like, shut up. And then she's like, well, one dance. So... I don't know. Maybe that's what women want. They want their stalkers to be in control. Like, I don't know. I don't know what we're supposed to learn from this, you know? I don't think that's what we want. But I, th- I think that's, you know, Cordelia had just said, I, I go for senior boys because they have something, right? Yes. And she makes that little, like, row sound. Yes. They have cars. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, but it, then she also, like, makes that, she makes a noise, right? Where she's just like. I don't know how to describe it. It's I've never been able to make that noise. But <laughs> well, y- yeah, they get her going. Yeah. And something about Jesse is getting her going right now. It's the control. It's how he's like, you will dance with me. <laughs> All right. And I don't like it. I don't get it. Um, anyway, this is when we see the vampires approaching the, the door. And this poor bouncer, he's like, get out of here. And then they push him in. And the vampires all storm into the bronze. And actually, you'd be happy to hear this. One of the vampires runs upstairs to what I assume is the booth. Lighting booth? Yeah, the booth. And Luke goes up to the stage. And this vampire up in the booth gives him a spotlight. So I'm like, they did. I know. They did kill a light technician. They did. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is a callback to the previous episode, everybody. Yeah, we're like, no more um, candles. They got somebody. The, these vampires, I have to say, they have a flair for the dramatic. Mm. They know what good, they set the scene, you know? Like, they could have just went there and started killing the shit everyone, but instead they had to, like, you know, make an entrance, get the lighting right, get on stage. And then Luke is all like, this is the last night any of you will ever see. Mwah. Yeah, he ha- he starts being like really chatty. And I will say that like if these vampires killed and created chaos as much as they talked, they would accomplish a lot more, a lot faster. True. Uh, this is what happens when the master delegates, right? Like yeah. he's got the killer management style. But all of his flunkies, they're just not as competent. Yeah, yeah. And at this point, this is also when Cordelia sees that Jesse, who, who puts on his vamp face, she sees that he's a vampire. And, and they all have vamp face on, too. And um, the poor bouncer is Luke's first victim. And he bites him. And as he's drinking his blood, we see the master down in the lair look up to the sky. And he's clearly things are going to plan. Like, he's he can feel this person's soul entering his body or realm or whatever it is. So... Buffy and the gang show up and the door is locked and they're like, oh, curses, we're too late. But 
first of all, Buffy's just like, well, I didn't know I was going to get grounded, which I found really funny. Um, so they, they, Buffy's like, I'm going to find my own way in. You go to the back entrance. She gives them all her weapons. Giles reminds Xander that Jesse is not his friend. Jesse is mm-hmm. dead. Jesse, and like, I'm like, this is mm-hmm. harsh, but I think because Giles knows that Xander is going to go be stupid and be like, Jesse, no. When it's like, yeah, this it's, isn't him. It's not going to do any good. Xander does not listen to Giles. Um, yeah. I know it's frustrating. Another th- another thing about this scene is Buffy's in charge. Yes. Right? Like she just she gives orders and even Giles is just like, "Cool. Yeah, we'll do that." Yeah. I don't know how many people that Luke has eaten by now, but he's he's chewing on a blonde girl at the moment. Next is Cordelia, and I actually got like a little fright cuz I I couldn't <laughs> like I just I really like Cordelia and I was like, "I don't want her to be in danger." <laughs> mm-hmm. Um Buffy jumps through, I think, the upstairs window. And she's mm-hmm. up on the balcony, and Buffy realizes that Luke is the vessel. Well, because no, she doesn't realize it. He helpfully just like stops, like before he's gonna eat Cordelia. <laughs> yeah, and he just kind of like Chatty. talks about why he's there. Yeah, and how you know he can feel the master getting stronger, and that every everyone he eats goes to power up the master. Like, yeah. it's really convenient that Buffy comes across just when he decides to stop and remind everybody of the plot of the episode. <laughs> yeah, and, like, he's really hamming it up. It's like, yeah, we know you're the vessel. Just bite her. <laughs> well, and it doesn't help that the score is super cheesy here. Yeah. So, like, you know, when Buffy, the next thing Buffy does, of course, right, is she calls out to him and then she does another wonderful flip and lands on the pool table. There's, like, this weird, like, twinkling music as she does this. And this is something that I don't remember sticking around for most of the series. So I guess it was just like a season one thing or at some point the music, the score gets better. But right now it's just like everything Buffy does is accompanied by this cheesy sound effect and music. And I'm not here for it. Yeah. Yeah. We can definitely call season one like Camp Sunnydale because it's just all very, very campy. Um, She does manage to kill the first vampire with a pool stick, though. And I think that's badass. So Luke lets Cordelia go once Buffy gets to his level on the floor. Uh, Mind you, don't forget that there's a whole crowd of people watching all this happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Buffy does a lot of like backflips and cartwheels and stuff to get to where to get to him <laughs> she could have just walked no she no 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 the slayer flips like let's get that right um <laughs> um so they start fighting poorly once again but like we said in the last episode it'll get better right like the fighting gets better yeah the choreography gets better people like hang in there but it's bad right now yeah, i know yeah and um finally the other three manage to break through the back door and they start hustling people out and um, <laughs> at one point, a vampire grabs Xander from behind and Buffy beheads him with a symbol from the drum set that's nearby. And once again, <laughs> Xander's like, heads up. <laughs> and there's some really like laugh out loud moments in the show. But and this one was one of them, but without meaning to be <laughs> like it was so. Oh, I, I laughed at something that's coming up. So. Great. Because that was corny as hell. Um, anyway, so Luke kind of grabs Buffy from behind. And he's like, I've always wanted to kill the Slayer. So once again, we know that this is like, they get off on this stuff, right? Uh, and uh, it looks like he's suffocating here. But we're going to cut over because Cordelia has be- is being attacked by Jesse. Jesse's on top of her. He's pinning her down. She's screaming her lungs out. And I just wanted to point out that this is fucking awful. Like, this is so 
scary to me. And because Jesse's already proven that he's a predator to her, that he stalked her when he was a human. So now that he's actually dead, like watching it, I was like, this is such a like a symbolism for rape to me. And it it just the Mm -hmm. positioning, the situation, her not wanting it, him wanting it so bad. I hate it. I just it made me really upset to see it. Mm-hmm. And I will say, thank God Xander came up behind him and distracts him. Obviously, he was going to bite her, but I think the symbolism there is that he was going to take her, you know? And I just, ugh, mm-hmm. it, it gives me chills. So once again, Xander's doing exactly like you said, what Giles told him not to, and he's trying to save Jesse. He's like, you know, I know you're still in there, <laughs> like that whole thing. We're over it. We're like, nope, he's a vampire. He's got to die. Like, there's no other way around it. Jesse kind of goes off about he, how he was a loser who couldn't get a, a date. Now he's a man and I can rape whoever I want. Okay, he didn't say that. But he's got this like toxic energy. No, but energy. You're, you're making the point, yeah. right? Which is, you know, you're trading your soul for power. Yes. Uh, and specifically, it's power over other people, right? Yeah. And that's what the whole vampire thing is about. Well, that's how so many of these like loser males with these like insecurities and these complexes join these cults these dangerous powerful groups Mm -hmm. because they want to be close to that power it's pathetic but you know what in the context of sunnydale and buffy jesse is a demon so he's getting off on on who he is now and Mm -hmm. xander tries to stake him but he he can't because he's not strong enough but then a girl luckily runs into runs into jesse from it's behind so funny and he gets pushed into the stake and jesse is dusted that is the end of jesse we never see him again but i will say that it's very interesting that xander didn't actually stake him himself maybe yes. maybe to give him the guilt maybe to like lessen you know so you wouldn't have to carry that guilt around i don't know but it is pretty funny <laughs> oh it's so funny uh so in the meantime uh Darla is attacking Giles near the door and Willow because she has that bag of tricks from Buffy um I love this she she opens up a bottle of holy water and dumps it all over Darla's face she starts smoking Willow is so resourceful and once again both the guys in this episode somewhat useless at fighting yes not somewhat definitely useless (laughs) So Darla's out of the picture. She runs out of the club. Buffy is still in this gra- in the grasp of the of Luke, who's about to bite her. But then she gets out of it and she picks up a spear. It's like a metal rod, and um, he's like, "You forget, metal can't hurt me." And she's like, "You forgot about sunrise," and throws it behind him through a, a window, I guess, at the very back of the bar. And mm-hmm. um, a yellow light streams through, and Luke is like, no, ah. <laughs> I know. And so he, again, he's hamming it up. Yes. This is terrible acting. Yes. But it's so funny. I laugh so hard at this. Yes, it's so funny. Right? Because, of it's course, good. it turns out sunrise is in 10 hours, Buffy says. And then she adds in some more ableist language. Um, and, and then she uses that as a distraction to stake him. And I, I love this because it demonstrates Buffy's not just strong, right? She's clever. Yes. And she dusts him. So he's gone. The master's uh, force field remains around him. And he does the classic, no, like bad guy thing. (laughs) Um, Cheesy, cheesy, cheesy all the way through. However, this is our first big 
bronze fight scene and I'm into it. Like I do like it's fun, you know? Well, and then we cut to the next day with no like mention of what happened, how everything was cleaned yep. up, the fact that there was this guy brutally murdering people yep. in front of everybody. Yep. Yep, but I will say like where before we get to the next day that when Buffy um slays Luke. Oh yeah, sorry. So we're getting ahead of ourselves. When Buffy slays Luke, um yes. she has that look there's a shot of her that they use in the opening credits and it's the so, hero shot the hero yes. shot it is so powerful it's so she looks badass like like she looks she in charge she is a boss bitch <laughs> and there there is a new one every season yes and i love it and like yeah and she so she looks up yeah yeah. And the other vampires are looking at her like, do we take her on now? Yeah, no. And just that look from her, you know, and she's holding the stake that she just used to dust Luke. And they're just like, not fuck today. It. Yeah, fuck <laughs> and it. They, run, they run out. And because like, that's how powerful she looked in that moment. She slayed the strongest one of them, the master's vessel. And and like literally didn't even have a scratch on her. So they're like, I'm out of here. So they all take off. And I will say that while the vampires are running out of the bronze, they pass angel who was standing outside doesn't look like he was going to go in there and help but he was he was around and he was kind of like oh she did it (laughs) and um we don't know what his deal is yet hopefully we'll find out what the mystery around angel is and why didn't he help why didn't he help like why was he just standing out there so uh the next day at school like you said cordelia's telling the story to her friend who wasn't there the night before like Cordelia almost died multiple times the night before and her amount of denial in this scene is crazy she's like there were rival gangs and they're fighting each other for turf and Buffy knew them (laughs) and like like that's and I like how the other girls like I wish I'd be there and Cordelia was like you should have been (laughs) but it makes sense her denial makes sense because as you pointed out she went through a very traumatic experience and you basically have two choices you either have to deal Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. um which means lots of therapy Mm -hmm. or you block it out and you rationalize it and cordelia is just demonstrating to us that she has the ability to do that uh and it will be interesting if this continues happening to her because she's sunnydale and buffy adjacent (laughs) like does she have a breaking point can how, how many more episodes can cordelia be in mortal danger and then just shrug it off before something has to ha- give. Yeah, absolutely. And it also goes to show that, like, when the girl's like, oh, I wish I was there, like, to Sunnydale, they're kind of like, wow, some action. Like, something exciting happened yeah. for once. So I-, I will say I really liked Cordelia's top in this episode. Mm-hmm. I love that whole, like, sleeveless, almost sleeveless turtleneck thing. <laughs> yep. Cordelia, honestly, like, she's goals when it comes to her outfits. Even, like, <laughs> like I mean, I know this is 1997, but, like, I'd wear that now. Like... <laughs> Oh, I totally yeah. wear. I mean, I wear things similar to that right exactly. now. I love the sleeveless <laughs> high neck look. So Xander is saying what we're saying, which is like, hey, the dead rose, there should be an assembly. Just like the day before, the day before, two days before, a dead body was found in the locker room and there should have been an assembly then too. But whatever. So Giles is saying that that's not the last of it. There will be another time and... People will, tr- the master will try to open the hell mouth again. We don't know what the threat is going to be next time. It might oh, not that be. wacky master. <laughs> if it weren't for you and your meddling kids. <laughs> I would have, you know, Luke would have eaten five more people and the hell mouth would have been open. <laughs> Buffy. He's like, he's like Dr. Claw, right? He's <laughs> yeah. just like Buffy. Buffy. <laughs> so 
basically Jaws is saying that they may that the, the four of them may stand between the earth and its total destruction and then the three of them make take that opportunity to make jokes about how they can do you know how can they get expelled by making explode things explode or something like that and they they walk off and Giles says the earth is doomed and we cut to black and one notable thing about that scene is like you notice like Giles didn't say Buffy stands between the earth and its total destruction mm-hmm. he says we do so we have a unit we got a group project going on here and i love it and i do i I think it's great and that's the quote right like the earth is doomed (laughs) because that's that is the quote that's one of the best lines of this whole series it's it's terrible the series peaks in the second episode (laughs) no but like that's it like that sets the tone for this whole series which is Almost every single episode, they are going to face incredible danger, sometimes apocalyptic level danger. Mm -hmm. But there's also going to be humor. Mm -hmm. There's also going to be like quips. And that's what this show is going for. And it's kind of like, okay, you've seen two episodes now. Are you in? Yes. So who is your hero this episode? I'm going to give it to Xander and Willow together because I think they do a great job each at various times in this episode stepping up right mm-hmm. so like xander a- as ill-advised as it was for him to follow buffy he does help her get out of the sewers yes. and willow like you said was a badass uh throwing holy water in darla's face and pretty much saving giles's life yeah. so xander and willow yep i agree um i'm gonna drop xander though and i'm just gonna keep willow <laughs> she was my hero totally fair. she was my hero this episode and i do think though for me it's more about how she admitted that she was scared and she channeled mm-hmm. that anxiety and fear into something very productive for the team she's like this i'm scared nice. like i'm gonna take my skill set and i'm gonna put it to use and it helps save the day so willow's my hero this episode okay yeah. And I will say one once again, like goodbye, Jesse. Uh, there's only room for one man like you in this show, and that's going to be Xander. So, <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. I I don't know. I'm I'm really excited. Like that. I think these two episodes together make for a very good pilot, a good start to what will become hopefully the most epic show ever made. I agree. Do you think we should uh, keep doing this every week for the rest of the series? Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you've got some comments, message us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. We can't wait to hear from you. See you next week. Bye.